thank you enough for listening to this show and being part of this community. If you've listened in the past, you've likely heard me say that the reason I created this podcast is to normalize the conversation around imposter syndrome. There has been some great discussion about imposter syndrome lately, particularly around the ways in which the imposter syndrome label pathologizes the individual and lets the system off the hook. I could not agree more. But I also come from a strong bias towards self-empowerment. Regardless of the forces that have led us to imposter syndrome, and it differs based on factors such as race, gender, cultural upbringing, etc. These feelings are real and they're very disruptive. So while we absolutely need to focus on structural change as it relates to systemic bias, inclusion, and psychological safety, in the meantime, we can also empower ourselves to manage imposter syndrome and other confidence challenges. My goal here is to share the stories of successful people who have experienced self-doubt and have learned how to navigate it more effectively. I hope these stories will make you feel less alone in your journey and will inspire you to embrace your strengths more powerfully. Please help us expand the reach of these stories by subscribing and or leaving a five-star review. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome, Rebecca. I am so excited already. We've just started our conversation. I can't wait to continue it. So before we do, I would love to welcome you and invite you to introduce yourself. Well, thank you so much, Kim, and thank you for having me on this podcast. I am super excited to be here. So I am Dr. Rebecca Heiss, um, stress physiologist by trade, uh, evolutionary biologist, and now professional speaker and CEO coach. Uh, I don't know. I do. I do a few few different things here, but uh, yeah, I'm really I'm really grateful to be on here today. I love your background. I think it's so interesting, and there's such a connection between imposter syndrome and stress, and uh, you know, the, I, and especially for women. I mean, I don't know if you work with men as well, but I just feel like the workplace continues to be a very stressful place for women, and especially as in the pandemic and everything that that brought to our lives. Um, before we kind of jump into what you do to support others and your kind of philosophy around this, I'd love to hear more of your personal story. How did you get to where you are? And is there any imposter well, syndrome along the way? <laughs> oh my gosh, the entire journey has been <laughs> one big, long stretch of imposter syndrome, right? I'm an academic. So that's like one of the characteristics you have to have. Um, yeah, I mean, look, my, my story truly begins when I'm eight. Um, I tell people I knew exactly who and what I was when I was eight years old and I loved the theater. I wanted to be on stage. I, you know, did my 4-H speaking competitions and, and I made it all the way to the state competition. And in States, I'd won, I'd won, I'd won, I'd won. And I got to States and the day of the competition, I played sick. I played sick because it was easier to not go all in because I was a little bit afraid. I didn't believe I didn't, I didn't believe I'd make it. I didn't believe I belonged there. I didn't believe that I had what it took. And so it was easier for me to make that excuse for myself and not go all in. So I didn't fail in front of everybody than it was for me to, to do that. And that's truly what set off this whole I mean, lifetime, right? Of feeling like I'm not enough. I don't belong. I don't have what it takes. I'm a fraud. I'm a fake. And, um, and I spent the next, oh, couple decades, 
um, doing all the things I thought was supposed, I was supposed to do, right? So I could earn people's respect so that I would be enough. So I went out and I just started accumulating degrees. And that was well and fine because I do love science. I do love the field that I'm in, but it wasn't who I was and what I truly wanted to do. It took some, it took a pretty major event for me to get back to the speaking world, back in the spotlight to say, no, 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 I have what it takes to be here. Um, but yeah, it was, it was quite a long drawn out journey to come back around to, to taking off that mask and truly being myself. Wow. And if you could summarize, I'm sure it's more complicated than this, but if you could summarize, what are, what are some of the big things that allowed you to do that? (laughs) Honestly, it was, it was one event. Um, my sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer. (gasps) And, um, in that moment, you know, we had some pretty major discussions as, as you do, right. When, when you realize, wow, this is, this is really it. Um, and what, what we really concluded was that death isn't the worst tragedy. It's, it's pretty tragic. Don't get me wrong, but the far worse tragedy is a life lived in fear because that's not, that's not a life. Those aren't active conscious decisions that you're making for yourself. Those are, you know, evolved biological norms, societal norms, cultural norms that you just kind of navigate because it's the path of least resistance. And I think so many of us fall into that category of just saying, let me just take this path because I don't want to be rejected. I don't don't want to fail. I don't want to experience that pain. And I want to fall into my grave, you know, wearing, clinging this mask rather than and this is, this is a Jim Carrey quote that I'm absolutely butchering right now, but rather than ripping that mask off and taking the full on risk of being loved or hated for who we truly are. Mm. And I think it's a risk that is so powerful and so scary, but so rewarding. Wow. What an unfortunate way to get such a powerful perspective. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I wish. I mean, that's that's kind of become my my mission now is to help other people do that without a tragedy. Right. We wait so long. So many people wait till they're on their deathbed to go. "Ah, I wish I had. I wish I'd have this regret. I have this. Why? Why wait? Why take that risk of not fully living and and trying all the things? The worst case scenario is you have partial success, Mm. which is just another word for failure and learning. Right. (laughs) Partial success. You know, I failed miserably. I learned something great. Partial success. Um. (laughs) I like that reframe. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that it's a, an almost like a discomfort avoidance approach. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's, so again, I stress physiologist, I study the brain under stress. And what we, what we see is that when for example, you break your arm, you have physical pain. Um, the brain reacts the exact same way to that physical pain as it does to a rejection. So it lights up the exact same areas when you are rejected as when, as when you have a broken bone. Mm. So what ends up happening is we treat that the exact same way. This physical pain that we have, well, what do we do? We, we splint the bone, right? We, we immobilize it. We board it up. We bind it. We keep it hidden back inside. And then you do the exact same thing with emotional pain. If we're rejected, we're like, Oh, I don't, I don't want that again. Here's what I need to be. Here's what I need to become in order to avoid that. I'm going to people, please. I'm going to code switch. I'm going to do all the things I need to do to make sure that I fit in here. And then we repeat that behavior until we absolutely lose who and what we are. 
right? There's so many of these women that I work with. And you mentioned, you know, I, I do work mainly with women. I work with all genders, but mainly with women. And so many of these women that I, that I work with wake up and they're like, I'm 65 years old. I don't even know how I like my eggs. Like if I want them scrambled or fried or because it's always, oh, whatever you want, dear, whatever you want, whoever it is that we're trying to, to please that day. Um, and it's such a, a rude awakening for so many people. I, I truly hope that we can come back to ourselves and say, wait a second, I'm causing myself pain um, by, by not rejecting or by not accepting myself first. Well, in many ways, what you're describing makes sense from, you know, very basic perspective, right? As we want to protect ourselves from harm. And when we have been hurt, it feels like the number one priority is to prevent that from happening again. And we don't intellectualize it necessarily of what's the lesson here or, or, you know, (laughs) wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Like we actually operate from our conscious cognitive brain. No, (laughs) again, as a, as a biologist, as an evolutionary biologist, we know, like we, we operate like 99.99999999% of the time from these subconscious reactionary portions of our brain, right? We're stressed. We're in survival mode most of the time. So to your point, yeah, it takes, it takes actual effort to step outside of that and say, Oh, I don't need to protect myself. If I get rejected, I'm not going to die. Right. Cause our brains are in this moment of like, if I get rejected, if I get kicked out of this tribe, I die, which was true for our ancestors, <laughs> but for us, no, just go find a better friend group, right? Go find another group. You're, you're safe, but you're actually harming your safety by staying and trying to bend and, and mold yourself to whatever culture that you're trying to fit into. So given what you just said about us operating in survival mode, are we doomed? Are we doomed to just keep doing this? Like what, what's, how do we break the cycle? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you asking that. No, we're not doomed. I'm not a fatalist. I, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a huge optimist, right? Um, I'm an optimist, but I'm a realist. So I recognize we're stuck with these brains that for 200,000 plus years have said survive first, right? Operate from fear, operate from fear, operate from fear. I think the first step is awareness, right? So I talk about the ABCs. Um, awareness being asking yourself in the moment, is this a tiger? So is it an actual life and death situation that I'm having this stress response to that I'm in this survival mode for like, I'm getting rejected. Oh my gosh. Right. If you, (laughs) the example that I often give is if, if you go to Starbucks or any coffee shop and you just lean in and ask, Hey, can I get 20% off today? Now, most of us immediately have a stress response to that. We're like, Oh my God, I would never do that. That's so terrifying. Why? Why? Because they're going to say no. <gasps> oh my gosh, no way. You're just going to pay your 1099 or whatever you pay for coffee and walk out the door. You're fine. But our brains immediately go to, oh, it's, it's a tiger. It's going to that ping, that ding, that thing, that rejection. It's going to kill us. Whoa, brain, slow down. It's not a tiger. It's this rejection is not a life and death situation. So when we have that, that level of awareness, then we can move on to the B, right? Breathe. And I know it's so simplistic and everybody talks about the breath, but to me, it's the most important thing, right? It's the only thing that connects your subconscious and your conscious mind, because we subconsciously breathe all day, but we can consciously slow down and take a breath. And when we do that, what we're signaling to our biology is actually, no, you're not having a tiger charging at you. You can 
regulate your heart rate, regulate the hormones that are being circulated through your body. You actually have control over that by controlling your breath because that's the only conscious thing you can control. So the second step is always breathe, slow down that system that says, whoa, 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 we got to, we got to fight, flight, freeze. No, we need to breathe. And then the third step is curiosity. So ask the question, do I even want to be accepted by these people? Right. Be curious, ask yourself, why are they rejecting me? Is it me or is it them? What hurt what, what hurt are they, have they experienced that they need to reject me in this moment? So the more curious we can be about ourselves, about others, about our position in the world, about the culture, the less fear we can have because fear and curiosity can't coexist. Mm. You can't be curious in fear. Um, nobody's sitting there as the tiger's charging at them going, oh, I wonder what I should do. We just react, right? So, so when we step back and we breathe and slow our system down and then get curious, we can operate more from the cognitive space. Oh, that's so, so powerful. And the curiosity piece is so fascinating to me because I see this as a way to almost create some emotional distance between yourself and the situation that you're in. And I often taught describe it as almost like detective work, right? Like I'm just gonna yeah. ask questions. I'm not gonna be attached to the outcome. It's so hard to do in practice. I mean, do you do you think it's the kind of thing that just gets easier over time or is it always going to be hard because of who we just naturally are as humans? Yes, and <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's always going to be hard because again, you're I would love for for our brain technology to evolve as fast as our phone technology, right? It just, biology is slow. And so we are hardwired first to survive. And so our first instinct is always fall to fear, fall to fear, fall to fear. But when we recognize that, when we're aware of that, I do think we have more control over it. And so I do think we get faster to a space of curiosity. We can fall to fear and go, "Ah, I know where I am. Hang on. Whoa, slow down. And so like any other muscle, you know, the, it's, it's training your muscle, it's muscle memory. Um, the more we train it, the more we work it, the more our brain wires together, fires together and goes, ah, wait a second, this isn't a tiger. We're safe. Let's move on. Um, so yes, yes. And (laughs) (laughs) that's great. So is this easier or harder for some people than others? Yeah, no, I, I think any, any population that's underrepresented, right. Really struggles with this more because as much as, Sheryl Sandberg's whole like lean in, lean in, lean in um, is sound advice to some extent. Um, certain populations, the more they lean in, the more they realize they look, they look around at the system. They're like, I don't fit here. I don't belong here. So I want to encourage everybody to lean out. Um, women, underrepresented populations in, in general um, struggle because when we lean in, all we're seeing is more of the same and not us. So if we can lean out and look at the system, I think so often, right, we get pointed to as individuals. Um, Women have imposter syndrome. Underrepresented people, people of color have imposter syndrome. Fix this. Well, it's not really up to the individuals to fix this, right? There's there's strategies we can do. We can work on our worthiness. We can work on these these pieces of, of ourselves that we can control. But I think it's more important to look at the system itself and say, wait, why do women feel this more? 
why do people of color feel this more? Um, what is the system behind it that's creating this issue? Um, so that it's not just pointing back at the individual again and reinforcing the cycle. Yes, exactly. And putting even more emotional stress on the individual experience. Exactly, exactly. What's the common, if, if anything, what's the common denominator among the people that you work with? Um, wow, that's a great question. I think that the biggest, well, I mean, the easiest thing to, to say is that they're all women. I, I work almost exclusively with women, but I think that the surprising thing is everybody is shocked that everybody else is having the same experience that they are. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about imposter syndrome, right? The research says, and thank, thank goodness for podcasts like yours that get this word out so that we have women and, and people talking about imposter syndrome more, because all the research says the best way to solve imposter syndrome is to talk about it, right? Is to recognize, like, my mentors have imposter syndrome. The people have Maya Angelou, Michelle Obama, like, so many high-achieving women are like, yep, that's uh, that's me, <laughs> And, and when we're willing to put that out, I think it's shocking to, to one another to, to look at these high power executives that I work with. And I mean, and moms and stay at home moms and everyone, everyone in between, like going, wait, you? No, not you. You? Wow. And so I think that the common denominator is we're all surprised by other people's uh, sense of imposterism, um, of, by other people's lack of worth. And so even the people that, that present most confidently and most high achieving by some societal standard, right, are still going, mm, I don't, I don't know the first thing about this. I'm, I'm just faking it. I'm just, I'm not the expert here. Yeah. Oh gosh. It's so true. And it's in some ways comforting, right. To know that we're not alone. On the other hand, it really does magnify the issue in some ways of like, gosh, if, if even that person feels this way, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I, I feel, I think I, and again, this is probably because I am an optimist by, by nature, but I feel like that gives me great hope. That gives me great hope because frankly, what that means is that I don't have to have the answers. I don't have to show up as the expert. And I think the more we give ourselves permission and others around us to not have to be the expert, to not have to have all the answers, then we can show up to get it right rather than having to be right. Mm. And that's a game changer for personal development, for professional development. When we can show up and we can be curious, we can ask for answers, we can ask for solutions, we are willing to, to ask the dumb questions that actually turn out to be not that dumb. Um, we can get over that, that fear of feeling like I have to know it all, I have to be it all, I have to be that expert. So what you're saying is at least in my interpretation of what you're saying is that we need to adjust our own expectations and our own kind of playbook for how we approach certain situations. Cause I love what you just said. And I think that too many of us walk into a situation expecting, well, I'm going to pre-master this, right? I'm, yeah. I'm going to walk into this new role already having all of the answers, all of the experience, everything I need in order to just hit that ground running on day one. And obviously, it's, it's easy to recognize the absurdity when we're talking about it in hypotheticals, but obviously that's not going to work. And so we are constantly setting ourselves up for 
quote unquote failure because the rules that we're playing by are so ridiculous. Yeah. And they've been set by other people. Hmm. Right. So, so, I mean, this is, again, plays back to underrepresented people in, in positions of power often um, are coming in and they have to prove themselves because nobody believes because they don't look like they fit. They don't look like the model of leadership that, you know, when I look at the last 10 years, the top 10 leadership books, 91% of them have been written by white men. Hmm. Now, Look, I'm not trying to admonish white men. Those are great books, by the way. You should definitely read those books. But also, if I'm coming into a position of leadership and I'm not a white male, then there's a definition. By definition, I don't fit. So I have to prove myself, right? I have to go in and have all the answers and do all the things. And that that kind of conditioning is actually really detrimental to my own success. Um, I think, you know, when when we're little kids, we don't have this. Like you think about it, you're looking over and like, Johnny's falling off of his bike and Joanna's falling off of her bike. And I'm, we're all just falling off each other's bikes. It's great. And then we hit a certain age and we have all, all of your listeners, you, I, we've all hit this age where we suddenly have this pluralistic ignorance. And we just believe that everybody else knows all the things that we suddenly somehow missed. And so we don't talk about it. This is what makes it plural, pluralistic ignorance, ignorance, right? Is that, we just believe everybody else knows. And so we're just all going to be quiet about it. Um, meanwhile, we're going, oh my gosh, there's 15 year olds making a million bucks on TikTok. What have I done with my life? You know, like we're all stressed out about, I should be an expert at something by now. And the reality is you you are. It's just, it may not look the same or fit the same rules as, as somebody else. And we get trapped into this space of comparison. And I think that's where the real danger lies. And so you've been talking about the system, which I wholeheartedly agree with you on. And I have these mixed feelings. On the one hand, I am very quick to point to the system as the issue. On the other hand, I recognize that it's going to take a long time for the system to change and for these kinds of issues to get resolved. So what feels most most realistic in the moment for people who find themselves in these situations, do you think it's leaving, finding a better environment? Do you stay and try to work from within? I obviously it's going to differ from situation to situation, but what is your general perspective on that? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's a really personal decision. Um, I don't think anybody should stay in a space where they're, they feel unhealthy and they feel unauthentic and they feel like they can't show up as themselves. That said, one of the, the best advice, best pieces of advice I've ever heard. And I, I wish I could credit this to the person who said it, but I have no idea who did. So I'm going to take credit. Sorry, folks. Um, is, you know, when you go to a job interview, for example, and if you are just yourself, if you don't play a role, if you don't try to be anything but just you and you get hired for the position, you never have to have imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. They hired you. They want you, authentically you. So if you can start in that space of knowing, ah, okay, I'm enough, I'm worthy, I belong here because I didn't I didn't put on a mask. I didn't try to impress anybody from the start. Um, that's, a, that's a great spot to be in. Now, that's that's a pretty nice position to start from. If you're in a position now where you're feeling this, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's really a personal decision. Um, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of trying to do what you can, where you are. That said your mental health and safety and well-being has to come first. So, you know, be true to you, 
and uh, and see if you can't uh, find some mentors in in the space around you uh, that can help guide you through um, and help help change the system from within. Yeah, and you know, it's making me think too about how because we are all to some extent aware of the flaws in the system, and many of us have unfortunately experience toxic work environments, it's easy to step into every situation, assuming that all of the environments are going to be like this. And so not to take responsibility away from those forces, but I also think it's important for us to recognize where we may be making certain assumptions based Mm -hmm. on prior experience, as opposed to getting real about what is possible or not possible in the existing environment. Yeah, I love that. I mean, one of the one of the big things I I talk about is what story are you telling? Because we know how powerful uh the stories that we tell our brains can be, right? They they can manifest all kinds of very interesting um good or bad. So detaching from, well, wait a second. If I'm showing up and I'm believing this is the environment that I'm sitting in, then you're definitely going to find evidence for that. Um, If you believe you're in a different system, then you can sort of selectively um, have selective attention to look for the positive things, to look for the opportunities to to tweak, to change, to begin to to move the system towards your favor. Um, So, you know, selective attention is is really powerful. Um, And I'm I'm in danger here of outing myself as a little bit of a mystic, right? Because I'm a hardcore scientist, but also the idea around um, the law of attraction and, and, you know, positive psychology is all about what you focus on. And the brain is really good at ignoring certain things and reeling in and, and really focusing on, on others. And unfortunately, the way we're wired, we focus primarily on the negative because that's what could have killed us, right? Again, survival mode. So we're like, Ooh, that's negative. Let me look at that. That's the thing I need to pay attention to rather than saying, okay, yes. And take the breath, right? Become aware. It's not a tiger. It's not going to kill me. Take the breath, get curious. What, what here is positive that I can begin working with and working from? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so great. I think that's, it's true that we are, I guess, hardwired. I don't know the right way to say that. That they will always tune into the negative for the survival reasons that you talked about. But that's where that opportunity to more consciously think about what am I giving my attention to? How can I look at this through a different lens becomes really important because it very well may be that there are things within our power that we could do that we're not seeing because we have been focused in a different direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the a lot of the research around gratitude and, and keeping a gratitude journal is is just calling positive things in your environment every day. Right. Because, again, as you said, the brain is hardwired for this negative bias. So we're, we're good at pointing out, oh, I failed here and I did that and I messed this up and I screwed that up. I can remember the, the problem that I got on, got wrong on my ninth grade state exam. Like, that's absurd. What I can't tell you is the positive feedback that I had an hour ago, right? Because our brain's like, ah, it's fine. That's, that's good. That's a nice, that's a nice reward, but it doesn't, doesn't mean anything life and death. So the trick is to really focus in on those. You know, that's part of the gratitude journaling process is if you just take 30 seconds every night and jot down, physically write down three things that were, that were great about your day or that you did 
successfully that day, even partial successes, right? Even like massive failures where you learn something. Um, that's huge because that starts to that starts to rewire your brain in a way where you're actively seeking and looking for those positive things. So your brain is more active in that in that positive space rather than always looking for the worst case scenario. Yeah. And I love this advice. I always give this to, to the people that I talk to too, because I think what it also does is it, it makes our, our experience feel more legitimate. And what I mean by that is when we are not paying enough attention to all of the things that we're doing well along the way, when we get to a certain stop on our journey, we often feel like it's a fluke, right? Like, my gosh, how did I get here? I've just been sleepwalking through my life. success. Crazy. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I don't belong here. Nobody, nobody knows how uh, unqualified and incompetent I really am because we haven't ever taken the time to catalog all of the things that we've done that have led us to this particular moment. And so that or that sort of practice that you're talking about to me just has so much power to shift our attention and make us feel like, of course I'm here, right? Look at all the great things. And obviously we'll never probably be that enthusiastic <laughs> about ourselves. <laughs> Why not? I know. Why not? Yes, we do that for our best friend, right? We, we would right. be like, oh my gosh, Kim, you're amazing. Look at all the things you've done. That's incredible. And how do we talk to ourselves? Certainly not like we do our best friend, right? I mean, <laughs> on a good day, I'm talking to myself like, all right, Becky, you had a decent, you had a decent, that was an okay call. <laughs> what? What? That, that was amazing. You did such an incredible job, Beck. Wow. You know, when we when we are that enthusiastic, why, why wouldn't we be that enthusiastic for ourselves? You're absolutely. Right. Be a big cheerleader. I love it. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We should aspire to that. There's no reason why we couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, if you take the opposite side and you think about how negatively we talk to ourselves, I mean, you, you say things to yourself. You would never say to like your worst enemy. We say awful things to ourselves. And yet we don't have that on the, on the same spectrum on the other side of, of like talking to ourselves positively. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of positive affirmations of, of really, and not just, you know, the, the candid, like, I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to tell myself some good things about myself. But like when I do actually nail a presentation or I have a great phone call with a, with a client, I'm, I'm going to say, wow, back. Yeah. You, you really got that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be that cheerleader for myself because nobody else is going to do that. Right. And if they do often the story we tell, right. The stories that we tell ourselves are, oh, that person needs something from me, or they're being, they're being, you know, overly gracious or whatever it is. Because we we don't take credit for all the great things that we are doing in the world. Don't be afraid to be your best cheerleader. You're right. You're absolutely right. And so I'll ask you because you have not only been on your own journey, but you're you have the benefit of information through the science, right? That isn't necessarily available to the average person. How are you today in dealing with? some of these things, right? Like, do you, do you still struggle? What is it? What's it like for you? Yeah, of course. I mean, of course I still struggle. I, I, 
Um, I would love to say that, oh, that imposter voice, it's, it's way, it's back with that eight-year-old. And the reality is, no, no, no. He's sitting right here. His name is Chad. I, I talked to Chad. I've named my imposter voice, right? I don't know why he's Chad. Sorry, any Chad that's listening. <laughs> I, I know some wonderful Chads out there. Um, but I think, I think what happens is, at least for me, I, I quickly identify him, right? And I can name him. You can name him something, whatever you want to name him um, or her um, or they. But for me, it's just when I name him, when I, when I name that voice and I say, oh, it's you, suddenly all the power comes away. It's like, um, I don't know if you ever grew up on the, on the story of Rumpelstiltskin, right? Mm. But, but her, whole, her whole riddle is she has to name the, the troll Rumpelstiltskin. And when she names it, all the power from him disappears because she's named the fear. That's the power is I'm naming this imposter force. I'm like, oh, you're the imposter. You're the one that is telling me I can't do these things and I'm not good enough. Hi. Okay, sweetie. Yeah. Thank you. I know you're there protecting me. And that's the first thing. Like I, I thank Chad. I'm like, all right, Chad. Thanks. I appreciate it. I know you're here trying to protect me. I'm safe. I'm safe. This is not a tiger. I'm Okay. Well, why do you think you need to protect me in this moment? Right. I get curious with my own voice. And so it's not that the imposter is gone. It's that I, I have different mechanisms for dealing with them now. And I think that's really important too, because the going back to what we were talking about before is this is so much a part of who we are as humans. And it's not about getting rid of this. I mean, there's obviously a, a positive part of this evolutionarily, or we wouldn't be the way that we are, but it's managing it, right? It's being able to see it through a different lens and have tools available to us that we can access more quickly that can help make it less painful when it shows up. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. It's for me, it's it's more of a, a welcoming of the imposter rather than, you know, as I said at the very beginning, casting it, right? Putting it, putting the cast over it, binding it up, putting it in its, in its own little box where it can kind of echo in the background and just keep spinning the tails, keep spinning those stories that are ultimately going to impede me. I can say, oh, I feel that. I feel that pain. I know you're here to protect me. It's okay. Like, it's okay. Yeah. And I love that too, because it's really showing compassion for the part of yourself that's afraid because we all have that and build a relationship with Chad. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Chad. Oh, it's you again. Hi, sweetie. Uh, you know, this is, it's a, it sounds so silly, but the reality is, I mean, I realized, I guess a little bit later than I, than I would have liked to, but nobody's ever asked to see my GPA. Nobody's ever asked to see my diplomas, which to, to my great disappointment, by the way, I might add, right? Like I worked really hard for all these things. And then and at the end of the day, it's only me. It's only me that's holding me back. And so it was, it was not the diplomas, it was not this that was going to make me worthwhile. It was me addressing that inner voice and saying, ah, thank you. I'm already enough. I'm already worthy. I'm going to show up here and I'm going to have a partial success. I may fail. I may fall flat on my face, but it doesn't mean I'm going to die. It doesn't mean I'm going to get kicked out of my tribe. It doesn't mean like this is the end of all days. It means um, I'm going to have an adventure. And the beautiful thing about the brain, right, is when we are under fear and stress and anxiety and all of these Chad Chad stories, right, um, we're releasing this incredible hormonal cocktail of uh, of cortisol and adrenaline and uh, and dopamine, 
funny enough. Mm. People think of it as a happy hormone, but it's, it's an addiction hormone, right? We're having all of these, this hormonal cocktail release. When we are excited, we release the exact same hormonal cocktail. So fear, stress, anxiety, excited. So the only real difference, right? Our body is having this experience, this information experience. The only real difference is how we're interpreting it here in our brains. So am I excited or am I scared? Am I having an adventure or am I having an ordeal? And so much of life is choosing, oh, this is an adventure. This, I may fall flat on my face. It's an adventure rather than allowing our fear to dictate that path for us. I love that so much. And it brings me back to where we started because you talked about a life lived in fear. And I think that if we zoom out and we imagine ourselves at the end of our lives, whenever that might be, that we are going to wish we went on that adventure, right? (laughs) So many people have bucket lists. They never even start to tick off. So go have adventures. Yeah. We're never going to go get to the end of our lives and think, oh, I'm so glad I didn't do that because (laughs) scary, right? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Any final thoughts, Rebecca? This has been so real, so powerful. Thank you. I mean, final thoughts are just, thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, I am so appreciative of, of, of women who are willing, especially women, all, all people, but especially women that are willing to, to speak about this and, and raise their own hand up and say, I'm, I'm one of them, right? I, I am here. I need to talk about this because others are suffering. And, um, and I think the more we're willing to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable and say, ah, okay, I'm struggling too, uh, the more we can help and benefit one another. So that's, uh, thank you for, for being here and for doing it. Oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, I so enjoyed this conversation. I think it is so valuable to everyone listening. I'm going to include all your information in the show notes. So anybody who wants to learn more about you, I know you have services and programs that you offer as well. So information will be available in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, Rebecca. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Kim. As we wrap up today, I want to share some additional resources to help you stay connected and continue to build your confidence. Please check the show notes for links to my free weekly discussion group, where we informally chat about common challenges and experiences facing women in the workplace. It's open to women of all backgrounds, functions, levels. It's just a very safe and comfortable place for all of us to come together to support one another. You can also check out our Facebook and Slack communities to connect with, support, and learn from other women on similar journeys. And last but not least, contact me directly to schedule a free 30-minute call to explore your challenges and see if my team can help you more quickly achieve your goals. I am now super excited to share an announcement from my new friend and colleague, Rebecca Heiss, about a powerful program she is launching to support women. Check the show notes for additional information on this program too. Thank you. Welcome to The Leap. This is a welcoming, inclusive network of ongoing development and education for professional women. I'm Dr. Rebecca Heiss, CEO and founder of The Leap. The Leap was created to ensure high potential women have access to a group coaching and professional development model for life. 
At The Leap, you'll be part of a community of women built on the principle that we are strong as individuals and unstoppable together. The Leap works by bringing together women in small cohorts. Think you and your soon-to-be 12 best friends and confidants for accountability, personal and professional development, and networking. In addition to their cohort, members will have access to the full community of The Leap. Together, we navigate content from leading researchers to help us overcome stress and anxiety, imposter syndrome, fear of rejection, and much more. We hope you'll join us in making The Leap yourself.